0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your weekly podcast where I chat with entertainers, gamers, uh, people in the industry about the nerdy things they love to do and how that influences their storytelling. I have an exceptionally wonderful and exceptionally nerdy person with me here today, and I'm very excited to chat with her. And we will do that in just a moment. But first, let's give a big thank you to the fine folks who help make sure this show happens, and those are the amazing people over at Hero Forge. Um, If you've played any sort of tabletop game, I'm sure you're familiar with them because they make some of the most fantastic custom miniatures that you could possibly ask for constantly rolling out new content. If you can think of a cool miniature idea, there is a damn good chance you can go on Hero Forge and make it a reality. You can even paint digitally your miniature on their system and they will do some sort of weird eldritch magic and make it into a reality and it will show up at your doorstep fully colorized, uh, the full realization of your character dream. I have several of them scattered all over my desk. I'm a big fan of Hero Forge and I appreciate that they make this show happen. So big thank you to them. Go to heroforge.com or follow them at Hero Forge Minis on social to check out all of the wonderful things that they do. And as I said, I have an exceptionally wonderful guest with me here today. Very excited to get, with chat, get to chat with her. I was lucky enough to get to play a game with her recently, which is an incredibly fun experience. You know her, oh, from probably so many things. Jessica Hamby and True Blood, Karen Page, Daredevil, Punisher, and several other Marvel shows. Twiggy on CR, Critical Role, and then of course her very own Relics and Rarity show. Hopefully we'll get to talk about all of that and more. Uh, I'm excited to welcome Deborah Ann Wall into the show today. How's it going?
1: Hi, I'm really good. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to dive right into it because uh, because there's so much to cover. Um, (laughs) You you love tabletop gaming and Dungeons and Dragons.
1: I do. I love Dungeons and Dragons. I also just love board gaming in general. That's been a more recent uh, sort of love passion that I've gotten into. Um, It's just the, the kind of really deep world of independent gaming publishers and these really incredible game mechanics that they're coming up with.
0: Yeah, we're kind of in a in a, a golden age, which feels like a goofy <laughs> thing to say, but of uh, not just tabletop gaming, but like like regular board gaming yeah. as well. Um, I, I bring that up as my first point because I feel like there is this tipping point uh, as a, as a fan of I don't know as as a fan or a player of D anD. d Where suddenly, and it was right about the time I got into D anD. d It felt like where a lot of uh, celebrities or people in media were like, oh, yeah, you know what? I play that game, too. <laughs> and, and obviously, I, I think Critical Role had a big impact on that. It sure. became such a pop culture thing. But was there was there a moment or a shift for you where you were like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm, I do want the world to know that I play this game. And in fact, I'll go do a show about it. Um, <laughs> or was it just kind of an organic thing?
1: Um, I mean, I, I came to the game late for sure. Um, You know, I think most people start as a kid. I started as a young adult. Um, So I I already felt a little bit behind and, and I came in in edition four. And I think while certainly critical role had a huge impact on sort of bringing it into the mainstream, I think fifth edition from wizards also did a lot for that. It's a very intuitive mechanic system. It's complex enough if you want to play it that way, but you can also have a very you know, a very simple mechanic and still play D&D the way it was sort of um, envisioned, you know? So I think that had a big part of it. So when I came in in fourth edition, there was still a lot of, it still felt very much like you could play D&D wrong. And Mm, so I actually, they had asked me, I think, to be on Critical Role earlier on. And I went and I watched one of their episodes. And because it has that rolling comment feed, I was like, no, no, this is my happy place. I'm not going to jump online and let people tell me I'm playing wrong. You know, so I was that totally scared me off from Mm. sort of being open about it. But as the years went on and more people sort of were saying that they played and we were encouraging more openness in the game. And again, I, I think 5e had a lot to do with that. And I think certainly... You know, places like Critical Role and other shows that were starting to moderate their comments a bit better and trying to to, to make a more friendly environment really helped. And so, Wizards asked me to do Force Gray. Mercer DM'd and Joe Manganello was in it, and mm-hmm. he said, "Look, you know Joe, it'll be very comfortable. We'll pay you." You <laughs> know, it
0: was. It there's was a,
1: that. Yeah. There's that, and it, and I, it was sort of my first time going okay, you know, and it felt like something I could kind of dip my toe into. And that went so well. I had so much fun. The response was much more positive and supportive. And that gave me a lot of, um, more sort of confidence going forward.
0: You mentioned coming to the game late, which I, I appreciate talking to people um, yeah. who came to the game, late because as I said, I did too, I've only <laughs> been playing for like four ish, five years now. Yeah. Um, and I actually came in right, I think for me, the perfect time right after fifth edition had come mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. because I had to go through that whole like, well, do I how do I, I want to play tabletop games? What do I do? There's Pathfinder. There's D&D. And yeah. a lot of people were like, oh, no, fifth is really easy. It's great for role playing. I was like, boom, I'm yeah. sold. I just want to <laughs> pretend I'm acting again. That's all I wanted to <laughs> do. Um, and so that was great timing for me. But but what was it for you kind of the first time you played that? that I like, captured your attention. I, I feel like a lot of people have that moment where they're like, Oh, I can do blank in this game. Like, right. Like what was it that was really kind of that, like, like where something clicked for you?
1: Sure. So I was a math and science geek when I was in school, um, which is, you know, I, I think a little bit rare for theater type people. <laughs> Generally you, they lean towards more arts and, uh, you know, uh, English and sciences, or, sure. sorry, English and history. Um, I, so I was always a problem solver. I love puzzles i love games i love math i still do algebra and trigonometry as like a soothing i found a like a free textbook on kindle and now i just do that sometimes if I you're literally
0: to. describing stuff my wife does and it's super hey. like she's still mad at me that i didn't take algebra in college so that she could <laughs> do my homework
1: <laughs> i yeah i i definitely enjoyed that kind of homework very much um and so for me acting I still use those kinds of skills acting for me is still sort of a problem solving Mm. space. Um, the problem is just, you know, how do I, how do I fill this moment with, you know, so much, um, um, support and backstory and understanding that it now feels true for myself and for an audience. And so, you know, that it's that kind of problem solving space of it. Um, and there's something too, about like big, complex, formulas that yeah. you just slowly chip away at and, and understand and simplify and make clearer for yourself until you get down to something very simple, which is just X equals this. And that clarifies the whole thing. So sometimes a script feels like that. It feels like all these complex, disparate little pieces that don't seem to make sense. And the more you chip away at it and you learn more about the character and you, you attach more, you know, thoughts and, 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 uh, 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 target, you know, pieces to these different targets, you come to something that you go, oh, now in my gut, I get this. You find an X equals that sort of makes the whole thing come together. So that's always what's worked for me. And I think D and D is that perfect meld of creativity, storytelling, which I love, and not just math, but problem solving and mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I love making custom um, uh, characters and custom monsters and custom worlds, custom mechanics, because I can use that problem solving, you know, math brain to say, well, how do I apply this in a story space Um, that then it becomes a usable, uh, a usable rule? Um, So, yeah, those things coming together really, it clicked for me. I went, wow, this I've never had a space where these two things were so equally supported.
0: That makes a lot of sense, even uh, in our one shot that we did for uh, Jasper's game day, yeah, um, which was so much fun. I texted so <laughs> many people afterwards just because I was like, I did a puzzle. I, like, <laughs> I just did. I love puzzles and we had to do a puzzle. I don't know <laughs> if we solved it right, solved it right or you helped us kind of cheat our way through because we were tied on time, but <laughs> but that was that was one of the very fun things for me Thanks. as a player in that is that um, discovering those little things, the rules of how the world worked
2: yeah
0: you know unlocks kind of your brain about okay, think about things this way yeah um, and and I will be honest, I think that uh, I think puzzles are hard for, <laughs> for people to do, but even just for people to come up with. Yeah, because it can be very easy to be stuck in your own brain about how you process things and and kind of the, the preconceptions you have and create a puzzle that makes sense for you. But creating a puzzle that other people can discover <laughs> is like a genuine talent and skill. So I think it's it's very cool that you were able to kind of unlock that via the game yeah. for yourself.
1: Well, I, I mean, I have this thing for myself and it's not true for everyone i much prefer solving a puzzle than trying to figure out how a puzzle is solved so like a crossword puzzle or an algebra problem we know how to solve it we mm-hmm. know how the game works the fun for me is in doing the actual solving of it so yeah. that's sort of a and, and i think generally in D, especially if you're short on time again, the more fun and it is seeing people put the things together rather than going, well, I don't even know what this means. So I try to put a lot of clues in my adventures. And like I said, I, I allow um, investigation roles for hints. So that allows your player character to kind of influence how much you know about a puzzle. So I, I'd, I'd like to spend less time figuring out how a puzzle works and more time letting players solve it with whatever unique brain process they have and, the really fun thing about that is, as you said, if someone else's processing is different and they come to a different conclusion, but their conclusion is amazing. Great. Hands off that works. You yeah. get through. I'd rather you feel like you solved it than stick to my, you know, well, actually,
0: idea. yeah, that whole thing, right? <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. So do you think because of that, do you lean more naturally towards like being a, a game master and running the game for people or, um, or do you run a lot of games and then wish like, Oh man, I wish I could play a bit more. <laughs> like, what's that balance?
1: I mean, it's both. I, yeah. I do love playing. Um, but ever since I started running games, there's a, there's a special joy in that, um, in a way when you're the, there's more acting when you're the DM, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one, because you're playing all the different monsters and, and PCs and all of that. Uh, but also because I created this story I'm I'm telling story through this through these different characters. Whereas when I'm a player, you're just slightly more limited, you know, and and um, you know, I'm not necessarily controlling the story in the same way. Obviously, I have free will within this world. Um, but in terms of sort of what the arc is, I'm I'm a little more, you know, at the whim of the of the other DM. So I'm I love both, but I I do think I really enjoy taking other people on a ride.
0: That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I want to totally shift gears, which is okay. really what you're looking for in an interview show is, is unexpected segues. Yes. Um, but I, I want to talk about uh, acting because you kind of touched on that as, sure. as a game master, being able to do different roles. Um, you have had two very, very distinct roles, right? Mm. Uh, as Jessica and true blood and then Karen um, in the various Marvel shows. And what has been interesting to me as a fan of both of those shows, um, was one watching true blood when it was first airing in oh eight, I
1: think, think that's when it started. Something yes. like that
0: at the time was how, um, and again, I don't know, I don't know how show business works. I don't know how much <laughs> of it is the actors. I don't know how much of it is the writers or the showrunners, but how it seemed like you took what, uh, and I think was actually intended to be like just kind of a, a, a recurring character yeah. that then became a regular cast member. And how you how you very quickly built that into a dynamic um, a character that a lot of people uh, connected with and that meant a lot to people who watched the show. And then it seemingly did that again with Karen and like Daredevil and, and Punisher and whatnot. And so I'm curious, like, how much of that is, um, you know, a performer bringing mm-hmm. a certain you know something to a role that inspires the writers to go, we have to yeah. keep this around. And how much is it as a writer, writers going, oh, you know what? Actually, your director, or whoever it might be. Um, is that just kind of an organic thing because it's it seems from the outside like it's happened to you twice. So I'm kind of curious <laughs> how that worked out.
1: um, I you know, I do think particularly when you're working in genre, um it's very easy to sort of sit back and just do what the genre does, which it does very well. You know, I think I even talked about this in a um a, a panel recently that you even with Dungeons and Dragons, when you're setting the mood, you can use trope or archetype to sort of help people understand where you are. But the key to it is then turning that on its head and subverting it or, or changing it enough that now you're keeping people guessing and you're finding something new within the genre. And of course, archetype and um, trope is different than stereotype. I want to be real clear about that, obviously. But uh, so I think the, the same thing goes when you're working in, genre film or tv or or theater
2: mm-hmm.
1: um which is that as an actor where my power lies is everything that isn't said so i get to fill this character who maybe we think we've seen before with whatever story i think supports this this interesting person mm-hmm. yeah. and i can subvert those that you know you you might have expectations about karen page because you're a fan of the comic books or because you know the comic book genre and you know who a woman is in this story, you know? And I get to kind of shift that by how I support her story. And I do think that good writers, and I've been very lucky to work with a lot of very good writers, do see that and are, yes, inspired by it. So while I can't necessarily take any credit for, you know, the arc of the character or, you know, the writing, you know, the specific words or writing of the character, I do think that when writers see an actor give it something more and and try to sort of live in it in a way that's that's uh authentic, I think that does inspire them to either follow that direction or uh add more for you to do. And and yes, I mean Jessica was uh initially meant as a recurring character, two episodes. Um, and she was supposed to look like Sookie. So that Bill had to basically turn someone who looked like the woman he loved. Right. Um, but I think they decided to change that because obviously I don't, I don't really look like Anna Paquin. Um, and as we started to work together, I think, one, they found that the father-daughter relationship was really interesting. And it gave, you know, Bill something to do outside of the the romantic story. Um and then also, I wasn't in the books. You know, my character wasn't in the books. It was a new vampire, so it was a way to explore exposition without being expository, <laughs> and have some freedom uh, from the from the books because obviously they were you know trying to be honor those Charlene Harris uh, novels, um, but it gave the writer something fun and unique to make on their own. So I I just wanted to support that and hopefully take it in some other directions as well.
0: And and I think that um, again as a viewer that was what was so interesting and kind of captivating about the character, really, like, the, the relationship uh, exploration, like, with Bill that you guys were able yeah. to do in the show, which to me felt mirrored in, in a different way in what you were able to do then um, with John Bernthal as, as the mm. the Punisher, which, again, was was an unexpected relationship that yes. we, as viewers got to see, develop. Um, and can, can you speak a bit to that? Was that another kind of, like, organic, like, oh, you know, we see Karen's character and we think that she'll actually you know, kind of be a good um, foil or not really foil, but but a good kind of a counter for kind of like the morality struggle that like the character (laughs) of the Punisher is going through.
1: Yes. uh, I I think, you know, obviously they had an arc set out and they knew that they wanted us uh, to interact. Um, But I don't think there was a plan for Karen to be on the Punisher series until after they saw how that relationship developed, uh, on the second season. Um, I mean, I, I think for me, the moment that it established, so, so John and I had a scene in the very first episode, I think where he's just running through the hospital and everything's blowing up and stuff like that. And he's just a terrorist in that moment, right. For Karen. And, um, and so we didn't really get to work together. He was sort of a shadow in the distance kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So the first time that Karen and Frank actually meet, back at that same hospital, but now he's chained up in bed and they had put a red line of tape on the floor. And the sort of fun of that line was, you can't, don't cross that line or because he's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And in the very first staging that we did in the scene, I, my instinct was just like, fuck that. And I crossed the line and I walked right up to him because he, you know, in my mind, tried to kill me. Uh, and And at one point, I think Charlie even came up to me and was like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to cross the line. I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, to me, that's the point. The point is that Karen is a bit reckless, you know, and, and has her own issues with morality and rules and what that is. And so in a way, she and Frank are very similar, even though they don't know it yet. So I wanted to kind of highlight that. And, you know, it came from an instinctual place that I think really set up their relationship and set up. Uh, who, you know, who she was in, in a lot of ways. And what's amazing is that through that episode, she finds out that he's quite a bit more than she thought he was. Um, and so that, yeah, you know, that was definitely, I think a turning point for me, I imagine a turning point for a lot of our writers to see what was possible there. Cause they're still writing, you know, we don't get to that amazing scene in the diner, you know, for a number for over half a season. So they have yeah. time to figure out what that Relationship is before they specifically lay it down,
0: and and that's the thing that you know as a consumer I'm not uh, fully aware of is how often you know a show is fully scripted before shooting versus as you're going, and so it's really great that there is room for yeah. organic growth and interpretation and development.
1: They definitely have an arc. They know where they want to end up. I think you know it's like D and D, right? You know where you want to end up. You know these like key moments that are really important for you. Um, But the kind of nuance of how you get there can be affected and changed by what's happening. And and that's, you know, I think the best writers are open to that uh, rather than, you know, too rigid. And I would hope so, because, you know, if you're doing again, if you're doing a movie or theater where the actor and the writer and the director and everybody has the entire bulk of material up front and can can help create that story. Um, you know, that's different. But in TV, where everyone, you're just finding it now, you've got it, you've got to shoot it in two days, you know, there has to be room for everyone to sort of dig their fingers in and adjust as we see what works. Um, yeah.
0: So out of that development interaction, interaction um, uh, Karen kind of became a, a connective tissue almost for like the mm-hmm. for, for the Marvel shows. I, um, you were on the Defenders, right? Mm-hmm. And were there any other of the shows that you kind of like popped up in or?
1: No, not, uh, not personally. I think, you know, my name or my byline on the, you know, New York board might show up in other shows, but.
0: But, but that was again, very interesting as a viewer kind of seeing, um, cause 'cause I think that the role of Karen and the way you played her brought a lot again to not just be the audience insert to a certain extent of like the person without powers, but, um, you know, the person who, you know, was, uh, pushing boundaries in some way and, you know, questioning morality, morality and decisions and, and, you know, kind of speaking um, truth to power at some points with like the different characters. So it was cool to get to see that occur over and over. And I will speak for many fans and say, hopefully I'd, I don't know what any of the rules are, but it'd be super <laughs> cool if that happened in a movie at some point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was really fun to get to kind of watch that, you know, grow as a fan. So, you know, tip of the hat to you and the whole crew and the writers um, something interesting that, that I've seen uh you doing a lot um is that you do a lot of like like charity work and auctions mm-hmm. and then you're uh, you're con- on your Instagram and whatnot constantly posting like hey we're doing uh you know bids for signed memorabilia and this mm-hmm. and that and the other uh and that is super awesome because I feel like so many um you still don't see you see a lot of celebrities I'm not going to badmouth anyone <laughs> but you see a lot of people either doing you know no charitable work or only kind of like big you know organizations and you're sure. just like, hey, how can we engage fans in a way that they like? Like, you want a sign poster? We're going to get you a signed poster, yeah. and we're going to help people. Um, did that just kind of happen? Did you just like decide one day, hey, I'm just going to auction <laughs> comics off?
1: I mean, look, I'm going to give my husband a huge amount of credit for this. I mean, this is primarily his campaign and what he does, and um, so I think he's also he's an uber nerd in the ways that I'm not. Right? So mm. I'm not a collector. I don't you know and frankly comic books and vampires and things are not necessarily my niche either Mm -hmm. but they are but at least comic books very much are his so he was probably more excited i got that job than i was (laughs) anyways that's not totally. true. but you know so he i think saw the opportunity and he knew what fans would like and i've always been more interested in i mean fame and social media and all that stuff is just kind of a drag in a lot of ways sure. and so i don't have a natural inclination for it but this makes sense it makes sense to me to do something that one not only can do some good in the world but also can be a lot of fun for fans that they can have access to some really cool stuff and some really cool people um that maybe they they wouldn't have otherwise Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, he really, he runs it. He makes sure he gets all the stuff signed. He takes the pictures. Uh, We're just utilizing my, my platform to do so. So I, I take 25, 10% credit or something for all of that.
0: Well, I think, like I said, I think it's a really fun way um, to go about like helping people, you know, like you said, get something they enjoy and care about and also do some good without like you know, making people feel like, well, I can only, I can only make a difference if I donate a thousand dollars or something yeah. like, like everyone can take part and, you know, get some fun memorabilia. So that's pretty okay. cool. You touched uh, a little bit about like, you know, the social media and like fame and all that, like not being your bag, um, which is cool. Uh, it's not my either. You know, <laughs> that's why I stay out of the limelight. But, uh, but we talked a little bit before we started recording yeah. um, about boundaries. And I mentioned that, that, a thing that I have have noticed like from a part afar is that you seem to be very good and very intentional about maintaining like personal and professional boundaries, particularly with fans. And I can only imagine in, in, in like a good healthy way. And I can only imagine that that's like extra difficult in a world of social media and where yeah. people are desperate for like parasocial relationships and like, like all of this stuff. Um, was that a very, I assume a very intentional decision on your part that like you wanted to to maintain that and how have you kind of had to to work to set and hold those boundaries and and how has it like benefited you?
1: Right. So that's a mixed bag for sure. Um it it was it was intentional as well as sort of arbitrary <laughs> simply because like I said it's not my natural inclination. I don't take pictures really. Mm-hmm. I I it never occurs to me to take photographs of things. Um and it doesn't ever occur to me to like tell anybody what I'm having for lunch or, and it just doesn't, I, I don't have that, uh, instinct. So I, I'm not drawn to it, which means I don't really do it. However, it is not only a really wonderful way to connect with fans. It's also a business imperative now. Um, sure. you know, so many of my contracts now actually literally include <laughs> Instagram posts or X things like of that. Posts
0: and stories. Yeah. And you know, yeah.
1: And of course, I mean, that's, it's advertising. That's where you're going. And, and, you know, I would do a press tour 10 years ago. Now they want you to post us. So it makes, it makes sense. Um, and, and like I said, it is also a, a really wonderful way for fans to engage. I think for me, what the intentionality is to the chagrin of maybe some of my representation over the years is that I really want it to be a professional space. So this is a space where we're going to talk about the work that I've done, the work that my friends do um, you know, causes that are important to me, um, and just sort of celebrating this entertainment space or social space. Um, what it's not is a way to become like good best friends with (laughs) Deb. So I don't actually necessarily feel very represented in my social media. It's definitely representative of my career. And my hope is that that creates a really fun community space for fans of what I do, but still allows me to have the mental space of knowing that there are things that are still just mine, that, um, my life isn't being judged on a grand public scale. My work can be, you know, you are welcome to have any opinion you would like about my work. That's, that's art. That's for, you know, that's free. Um, But when it comes to decisions about my life and what I, how I take care of it, I, you know, that's mine. Um, I think also in this world, especially as a a young woman growing up and the comparisons that you make to people. And we Mm -hmm. talk a lot about this FOMO thing of, of uh, social media. I didn't ever want to contribute to that. You know, I didn't want to post my breakfasts and have little girls go, oh my God, I'm not eating right. Or post a selfie of me in an outfit and have, again, you know, young people go, Oh no, my thighs or my, you know, so I just didn't, I had enough of that from the other end and, and Mm -hmm. to the best of my ability, I wanted to avoid being that on this, on this end. Um, so yeah, I think there, so yes, like I said, that's sort of, there's an intentionality to it. And, and also sort of, it just didn't, it doesn't speak to me. (laughs) So
0: do you, do you think the fact that you, um, you do that and that's, that's you know, kind of established for you, do you think that that sets then good expectations, you know, for like contracts or people who work with you, like they mm-hmm. already know, like, you know, that you're probably not going to, you know, Hey, I'm in Barbados yeah. or whatever. Like, and here I am with my daredevil mask. I, I don't <laughs> know. I don't even know how that, that stuff goes, but, um, by continuing to have those boundaries, has that yeah. helped kind of establish that, that that's an area that you're not going to let people in?
1: I mean, again, it's it's a mixed bag. So, sure. uh, for the most part, work that I do, they're just happy for you to like put the picture up and say, "Hey, I'm doing this thing," and be really right. transparent, and that's fine. Um, and hopefully, with truth and advertising and so forth, um, if anyone ever wanted to sponsor me for something, I would want to make sure it's something that I really did love, and you know, was, sure. was happy to sponsor and make it really clear that that's what was happening. Um, the downside of it is that. Uh, Within the profession, if I'm up for a part or they're considering me at casting, they will go look at your social media to get a sense of who you are and where you fit in the world. And like I said, I don't feel my social media does an amazing job of representing where I've been. And -hmm. it's an amazing place, I think, for fans to get together and talk about, you know, fun stuff that I've been involved in or that friends of mine have been involved in. What it's not great at doing is saying anything about me personally or where I would like to go with my career. sure, so in terms of a actual business tool i'm I'm utilizing it very poorly, <laughs> but I'll sacrifice that for fans to have a fun place to hang out and yeah. for me to have a bit more privacy
0: that's great and And to be clear for for you and for people listening, I ask this because. Um, I, boundaries are, are, I think, super important and mm. underutilized and so valuable, like to your mental health and, and relationships and your emotional health. And so it's very impressive to me when I see somebody who is in the public space, who is actively saying like, like, no, I'm going to, i to take care of me in a very healthy and intentional way. And so but I think I, that's worth talking about because a lot of people don't.
1: And I think also reminding people that especially nowadays with, with YouTube and the vlogging and things, it is very easy to feel when you're watching someone that you have a personal relationship with them and forget Mm -hmm. that it is one person on hundreds or more. Right. And to me, I want to make sure that that remains clear. I don't, I don't want to mislead anyone or, or, you know, um, make anyone feel like make anyone feel unseen because they assumed that they were seen. Um, that that would might be hurtful you know and i my my goal is to be do as little harm as possible if i if i can
0: no i think that that is a great a great mindset and a great way to go about that um i want to talk about relics and rarities but before we do mm-hmm. i want to give a shout out to another fantastic sponsor of this show okay. and that's my friends over at diehard dice so go to dieharddice.com because uh, they're an awesome small business in the community And they make beautiful dice. Even if I didn't have an affiliate code and all that fun stuff, I would still tell you to go there because they're just really fantastic people. They have sponsored uh, charity events I've done before. They're doing great work in the community. And they make pretty dice, which is pretty cool. And if you're anything like me, you can't have enough dice. So go to dieharddice.com. Check them out. They've got some really cool metal dice that just came out. um, And I like big, chunky, heavy metal dice. So that's great for me. But uh, if you want to save a little money, you can use the code RollMay on there. Or if it's not May, you can use RollJune or RollJuly. Just kind of follow the logic. It'll work. Whatever month it is, throw that on the end after roll, and you'll save 10% and support the show. Um, But they're really fantastic, and we appreciate their support of the show and the community and all of the awesome things they do. So check them out, dieharddice.com. So relics and rarities. I... Uh I don't remember where I was when I first heard that it was going to be a show but I remember being like super duper excited um and I can't even remember necessarily why cuz I don't know that I had seen you play D&D before I was oh, a fan of your acting but um I had not seen Force Grey for instance uh-huh. but I, no you know what it was it was the trailer and the whole vibe like the kind of <laughs> curio like curiosity like that yes. um, league of extraordinary gentlemen esque, yes. like that is everything I love and so I was super excited about it. I loved the show I'm curious like how it came to be like, like where you made the move from saying like, Oh, I, I don't know if I want to play on the critical role thing because people in chat suck, uh, <laughs> which is, which is true. hundred percent true. That's a whole other episode.
1: It's getting better. Moderation <laughs> is getting better. Moderation mod, mod is getting Moderation's better.
0: Moderation is getting better. Yes. Uh, whole whole different rant um but how yeah how did how did that show come about was it your idea where you approached what was kind of the genesis
1: yeah well so uh the first time i ever ran an original
0: terrible thing and i'm going to interrupt you because i realized someone might not know what relics and rarities is which is (laughs) get out from under the rock but real quick say what it is so people know what we're talking about and then we'll go back to it
1: relics and rarities is a dungeons and dragons based show that i made for geek and sundry um it's six episodes uh they're on youtube they're only two hours each so they're very digestible uh it was created definitely with you know uh more experienced players involved to enjoy but very much pushing towards even if you don't know what all the dice rolling is about you will love the characters you'll be able to follow the story um and have a sense of of what's happening and and really engage with it i hope um so yeah so uh go check that out uh (laughs) please we'll put a link
0: in the show notes
1: i'm very very proud of it (laughs) so yeah so the the first time that i ever dungeon mastered an original adventure publicly was at um one of the wizards of the coast d d live events and i did a another adventure a short adventure i wrote called the witch of Briarcleft. again you can find that on youtube i'm also very proud of it um i was able to surprise matt mercer which was wonderful So, uh, but that went very, very well. And I think the geek and sundry folks saw that and they wanted to do, um, I guess a six episode series with guest stars invited in. And so they reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing that show? Um, and so I said, okay, let me think about it. And I sat down and I thought, because, you know, part of the problem with having a guest star is it means every episode you have a cast change up and how do you justify that in story? Right. Um, so my thought was, well, those are, those are one shots essentially, but I want to link them together. So it's that Horcrux idea or Zelda looking for the map and the key and the sword, you know, you're yeah. it, there's one arc and the final episode is going to be, you know, fighting Voldemort, but you're going to spend five episodes looking for Horcruxes. And that way you can have five separate adventures that link together and still feel like a cohesive story. So, once that sort of tipped for me, that idea, I went, great, yeah, I can absolutely make something out of this. And I love one shots. They're my favorite. Uh, Interesting. I really, really love them. Um, They're, yeah, so I, it was a very natural, (laughs) natural uh, direction for me to go. Um, So, yeah, so uh, we, they brought me in. I wrote a bunch of stuff. I sent them like a 50 page booklet of puzzles and, uh, aesthetic uh inspiration and uh story notes and minis and props and all of the things and I was like look if we can do 5% of this I'll be happy um, and they ended up doing much closer to like 75% of it we really got a lot done and some of it was their incredible team making and finding really beautiful things and then some of it was me with my you know poster board at home crafting <laughs> which is always a fun part of d d for me uh, so, yeah, so we we got that done. We had some amazing guest stars come in. We had Matthew Lillard for the first episode, Sam Richardson, who you'll know from Veep and Detroiters. Um, then it was Charlie Cox from Daredevil. Uh, then we had Janina Gavankar of True Blood and so many other amazing things. Then Kevin Smith, who had actually never played D&D before, oh, despite wow. his being affiliated sort of with nerd culture. Right. Um didn't have time to learn the game before he showed up, so played D anD D without knowing the rules. Left, still really doesn't know the rules. Doesn't matter. It's one of the best games of D anD I've ever been a part of.
0: He's I actually incredible. haven't watched that one, and now I feel like extra sad about it. Okay.
1: Kurt, uh, there was a, uh, the case of the black onyx. He's okay. amazing. It's hilarious. It's moving. It's everything. I. He's great. Uh, And then the final episode was Simone Missick off of um, Luke Cage and Defenders and all and Iron Fist and um, really just our perfect cap to the episode because or to the season, because she plays this incredible like paladin warrior. And of course, that's the big finale. So we had a a really fun time.
0: Would you ever uh, would you ever do something like that again? I would love to. Uh, which is my I, like really sideways way of saying, <laughs> right? Like, is there a season two?
1: So there's not currently, you know, a lot of that has to do with Geek and Sundry and Legendary yeah. and whether they want to or can. Right. Um, I don't have a lot of control over that. Um, I have lots of stories to tell. And, and mm. if they ever would like to make a second season, I, you know, I, I have ideas for it. And I would love to get that group together, our core cast of four, these just really wonderful people. And they immediately had incredible chemistry. Um, but for now, I'm, you know, I've got, I get these one shot opportunities to come and do things. I'm working on sort of maybe my own idea of putting together a little show, but I have to figure out how and where to do that. So that's a lot of work.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, as, as someone who just launched an actual play show, it is an exhausting amount of work. Uh, yeah. Uh, you you mentioned really loving one shots, which mm. uh, is interesting to me because I, um, I typically feel differently But I think that, well, I I think that's because, um, I enjoy, you know, big, long storylines and yeah, I want to spend an hour doing a deep RP moment, which you can't in a three hour one shot. (laughs) But, uh, and this isn't, you know, to blow smoke up your ass or anything, but like your one shot was the best one shot I've ever played in. Um, and for, for a variety of reasons. And so it kind of opened my eyes to like, okay, this can be a really fun and good thing. (laughs) But what is it specifically about one shots that are that are special or, or um, engaging like to you?
1: I think for me, what it's about this idea of one, how can I reimagine the five room dungeon? Right. So that's a classic D and D thing. And and, mm-hmm. and how can that be the face of a cliff? Can that be, you know, underground caverns? Can that be a submarine? You know, can that be, you know, you can kind of refashion that. And, and I think what excites me about one shots is I I like when we learn about character through active moments. I want a character's legend and their story to be present tense. So when we see, you know, in that fourth episode of Relics, I'll spoil a little bit. When we see Ricky step, you know, Xander step in front of a friend to take a hit off a mummy, that is him telling his story. And that says more to me about Ricky Huckster than any backstory that you could spend an hour in, in a, in a role mm. play learning. And there, you know, that's the actor in me wants activity. Right. So I like when you're forced to kind of take steps, take action as your character and, and, and not sort of lean back and think about what you want your character to be or what you think your character mm. is. I want players at the table as much as characters. I think, I I don't ever want Xander to disappear into Ricky I want Ricky and Xander in there at the same time and I I want them influencing each other and and learning about each other so so yeah I I, I like the forced sort of action of it. I like the, the sort of boundary on it that you have complete free will within the submarine, but you can't leave the submarine. <laughs> you can have free will in the hotel, but you can't leave the hotel, right. <laughs> you know? So it, it gives the players absolute autonomy while still allowing me some form of storytelling uh, engine. So I don't have to put you on rails. I don't have to tell you how to solve this puzzle. But I I am going to keep you in the frame of the picture. Mm. Um, so those all those things make it really fun for me. I think characters also people are less stingy with their resources. I mean, when you play those long games, people hold on to that potion for freaking
0: It only heals one D4 plus one. Like why have you had it? You're a last one character, just use it.
1: So there is something nice about a one-shot where people use their stuff more, yeah. they take greater risks, and also I hit I hit harder in, in mm-hmm. one shots. Uh, and that's more fun. I think it's, I love, this is just a general D and D thing. I love hitting squishy little characters with big, bad villains. I mean, you saw I TPK'd you guys in, yeah. in the first, yeah. uh, you know, hour of your adventure. I loved, it. I, loved adventure. it. I was like,
0: try, I wish I could, I was like, stop <laughs> fighting and guys just let her kill us. Like, her
1: uh, kill. Clearly yeah. this is what's meant to happen. Yeah. Um, but what, you know, but again, that's part of the fun is that I, if it just becomes about math, if it's just mm-hmm. a plus two sword, and higher stats against higher monsters, then there's no actual progression, right? It's just a more math. It's a fight with bigger math. So I love the idea of hitting you with something you can't possibly defeat based on your stats alone. So you have to be creative Mm. you have to use things and, and think out of the box and have strategy. Um, and so that came into, with relics, um, the really fun added layer to that is that before they go out on their adventures, they get to pick from the relics at the shop, Relics and Marities. And I like this idea, my magic items always hide in plain sight. So they are trinkets, they're junk, they're stuff you'd find in grandma's attic. Um, but when you use them correctly, they become very powerful. So something like a spool of unbreakable thread you think, well, it doesn't give me any math. What could I possibly use it for? I mean, they killed a shark, you know? I mean, it ended up being a really amazing tool for them. Yeah. So I, that magic items and storytelling in general, I always like to have the player creative be more powerful than the math.
0: I love that. That's why the immovable rod is like one of my favorite items in D&D. Great item. Just, it, um, so fantastic!
1: I just had a. I, we just finished a Storm King's Thunder, and they essentially use the immovable rod to help kill Imrith. And I was like, "Wow! All right, great. There you go." It's
0: fantastic. Yeah. I, I, you touched on actually two reasons why I think I enjoyed your game so much, and what I feel like many one shots are missing. And I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing. Of uh, People who played one shots like, especially charity ones. Our goal is there mm. to like have fun and raise money. Yes. Um, which is. Awesome that we can do that by the way. We can just play DD and <laughs> help people. That's pretty I cool. But I, I think that sometimes the mindset or the zeitgeist currently in the D&D world is it like a one shot is to be goofy and fun and make ridiculous character concepts <laughs> and, and it can totally be that 100. Yes. but you can still tell a story and you can still hit hard, yeah. which are like the two things I actually kind of bitch about about one shots I'm like, well, <laughs> you know you're gonna beat the enemy, like it's gonna like like so you just go in and who cares? Yeah. So so having that kind of uh you know getting hit hard having to be resourceful and the intention of you as as the storyteller the DM mm-hmm. saying I have a thing I'm going to tell I'm going to weave a tapestry even though it's only three hours yeah. um, that yes. really kind of elevates the experience as a player. So thank well, you.
1: so much of that for me. So you know I I think it came out in there. So I was inspired by the Hotel California song, the Eagles song, mm-hmm. for that adventure because yeah. I knew I wanted to do a hotel adventure. Um, and I was thinking originally more like overlook shining kind of direction, but I was Googling creepy hotels to look for like floor plans and like yeah. you know, what's what are some nothing makes sightings. your Google
0: history more weird than being a dungeon? <laughs> oh master. my
1: goodness. Very true. Um, and then the Eagles song came up because obviously it's it's a song about a creepy hotel. And so I was reading the lyrics and I was strongly inspired by it. And it has that incredible line about um, we're all prisoners of our own devices. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, could I make a DD and d where they a and d adventure where they are prisoners of their own devices? And it came to this really fun space of, of creating these custom backgrounds for each of you that would represent a device um, a vice, in other words. Mm-hmm. And that in the end of this game, that the only way to leave would be to not be a prisoner to that, to not choose the very thing that you think you've wanted your whole life. And and. So yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with even in a, again, and, and you can do it better, I think, in a three-hour game than in a three-month game. Because in a three-month game, you know, who knows where you've gone and all the things that have happened to you. But in this succinct little piece, I can actually I can actually make kind of a, a, a thesis statement. You know, I, I can kind of have a point in a way. I can say, this is a place where you can have everything you've ever wanted, but you're trapped. Or you can choose to love you and you can leave. Um, and it was just a really, it was just a really fun. I mean, all credit goes to the Eagles for the profoundness of that. Uh, but uh, I will steal it for my D&D game. <laughs> That's the, uh,
0: the, the best steal. That is, that is, <laughs> is take inspiration. Yes. Um, that, is, that is super cool. Yeah, that was uh, such a, such a fun opportunity for me. So thank you. I, well, um, thanks for playing. It was, it was super fun. I hope we get to play again sometime. Me too. Um, before, before we wrap up, I did want to, uh, toss a question at you provided by one of my patrons at patreon.com slash rule for persuasion. You can go and hey, hey hey, um, you can check it out there. You get access to the zone of truth segment, which we'll talk about in a bit. And also occasionally when I have super special, awesome guests, I, uh, ask for people to submit questions. And so Brittany dropped a question for you. Um, and she had two questions for you. She said, what did you do to prepare for your recent walking dead one shot? Mm. Um, which you had an awesome cast on that. That was yeah. a great. Oh my gosh, they were amazing. And do you have a set routine that you do to prepare for GMing a session?
1: Sure. Um, so that was interesting because that actually was a lot of mechanics work, which the math and science geek in me was like in heaven. <laughs> I had so much fun figuring out how to mechanically do that because again, the problem of a walking dead world is that one bite, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like you're dead. So how as a DM do I make that exciting when I can't really bite you very much? Like I can't inflict any damage. I can't, you know, the, the threat. So in a way I meant the threat of a bite has to be in the mechanics that can't just be a a story point. Right. So the idea was to then take the death saving throw three chances structure and try to apply that to a bite, to a bite. So they get a chance to try to hit you. If they succeed, you get an automatic D20 flat roll to try to prevent it, dodge it, block it, something like that. And if that fails, your friends have a reaction where they can try to stop it by by, with a very simple attack. So the fun of that is (gasps) they hit. (gasps) I rolled a four. Can you get it? You know, so it, it has that it anticipation. Builds, yeah. It builds. So even though I don't get to do any damage to you and there was not that much damage in the game, except for whatever I could make happen environmentally, the hope is there's still that, that fear. And of course the wonderful thing about it is that there's so many of them. So you're doing that four times on your turn and hoping the roles are in your favor. And if they're not, you hope you've had good reaction economy from your friends right. so that they can stop you. So I just had a blast coming up with those different little mechanics. Um, obviously, adjusting a lot of their because there's no magic, so you know, can I use a fire extinguisher as a cold breath weapon? You know, can I use uh, Molotov cocktails as a fireball? You know,
2: right?
1: So how can I use items and and resources, and how can I take um, you know uh, certain features and and make them work for these particular characters. And, and, um, so that was just, it was just really a fun mechanics piece for that. And then, uh, but they, they had an arc of the story. I want to make sure I give credit to skybound because they already knew that they, you know, they wanted it to be, you go get a tire, you come back, everyone, you know, they're all storming the, uh, the fences. So the sort of the bulk of the arc of that was theirs. And then I did the details and Mm -hmm. mechanics and the characters, um, so, in terms of process for a D and D thing, I I do generally really like uh, maps and research and monsters. So, I I usually will go. Well, I have a hankering to do. An Indiana Jones type thing, or an exorcist type thing, or a steampunky type thing, you know, like I, I might, or a journey to the center of the earth, all these kind of fun stories that I grew up with that I think are so engaging and exciting. That's usually the spark of inspiration. So, Hotel California, spark of inspiration. So then I just start researching things that relate to that. So, creepy hotels, or um, you know, or hotel, or mansions, or nurseries. You know, yeah. like what, what did an old Victorian nursery have in it? You know, and that's a great place to kind of start and get ideas. Um, and so you, that's kind of where I go. So I might get a floor plan or a cavern map or whatever it is that I want to kind of sketch up. I, I'll kind of start with that first, and I'll go. Okay, so this is a Victorian mansion, and I've, you know, I've loosely based it on some real Victorian mansions. All right, so I definitely know I want a nursery because nurseries are creepy. So what do I have in here? Okay, well, I have a fireplace and I have a cradle and I have this thing and I can start to go and I'll start to place monsters or puzzles or problems, essentially, Mm -hmm. obstacles in each of the rooms or in different spaces and start to see how they relate to each other. And once I know that, Then I start to go, okay, well, why are they here? And what do they want? And I go, okay, well, maybe he was a puzzle master. And that's why there's puzzles all over the house. But now he's haunting his own house, you know, and great, here we go. So that's why this is here. And then the, you know, the floor plan gets changed. So things are constantly evolving as each piece slides into place. Finally, I just end up with this wonderful haunted house full of goodies. And all I have to do is figure out a reason for my players to want to go there. So, in relics, that was simple. they were sent as a mission, and they knew that there was someone there that they needed to talk to um, you know, similar hotel you know the uh, the um Eagles View Inn, you guys were invited, and it was a wonderful honor, so, of course, you went um, you know, so it, you find the different hooks, and you know i try to do I try to do hooks that will appeal to different people, so Something that appeals to emotion, something that appeals to greed, <laughs> um, and something that appeals to power and, and prestige. Yeah, so yeah. Um, finding a cool relic, getting a lot of getting paid for it, or saving people. Um, and if all of those three things can be present in some way at this space, usually I don't have a hard time convincing the majority of the party to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that's generally the process. Um, for a one-shot, at least, for a longer campaign, you're doing that, but just a much grander scale. Right. Instead of a house, it's, uh, it's the Sword Coast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just kind of... And again, even within the Sword Coast, I might start with the Swamp. And right. then the castle and then, and, you know, kind of place them and then start to see, well, how do they? Oh, OK, well, the, the king that used to live in that castle died in this swamp and they put his grave at the, th- you know, so you're starting to kind of build everything together and find connections.
0: It's a very organic approach, which I think, which so, I think yes. makes it feel maybe more uh, livable or playable and less kind of like, you know, structured by the book. So I want
1: the I want the story because I don't want to put you on railroad tracks, but I do want you to experience the story Mm -hmm. that I've created. I want the story to kind of guide you itself. So I don't have to. So if you're at the castle and you've completed everything at the castle over the last five sessions, but the most interesting thing is that this king had this incredible sword that was buried with him chances are you're going to go look for that. So it's, it's, it's planting the hooks in the treasure so that I don't actually have to tell you where to go. You're going to make those choices.
0: Yeah. That's, that's something that sets really great. uh, Like open world video Mm -hmm. games apart is when um, I don't remember what game it was. And now I feel bad because it was a great game. Uh, Mm -hmm. But where you, at, at some point you realize, Oh, like I'm my character, my player in the game, can't actually climb over that wall. That's okay. Cause I don't even want to, I haven't wanted to, it hasn't even occurred to me because I'm so pulled in by the environment and the story I'm naturally going where they want me to go. I think that's when like great storytelling um, really shines when, like you said, it's uh, naturally pulling the character, the player towards the goal, but they still feel the agency and they still feel like they're doing what they want.
1: Well, offer this, the old school, her interactive Nancy drew games. Huge inspiration!
0: Oh wow, I never—I'm I'm aware they exist. I never played them. Go no, play them you're if you are back.
1: a puzzle person. You will love these games. Okay. Um, the puzzles are hard, uh, especially if you play on on master uh, detective instead of amateur. But they're incredibly well—I mean, they're incredibly well structured stories um, with exactly that where. You have, again, you have, you're at a hotel, you're in a, you're in a framework of some kinds. You can't just go anywhere you want outside of that, but, but you're okay about that because the mystery is so tantalizing and you want to talk to everyone and you want to look under the doors and you want to solve the puzzle on the fountain. And it just draws you in so much that it never feels limiting. And that is a huge inspiration for me, not only obviously for one shots, but for full campaigns.
0: And I'll they're like, things. I'm looking right now, they're like 30 of these.
1: There are 30 of them. Do the older ones, the newer, uh, well, the new West one is a different company. Mm. So I can't okay. recommend that one, but ghost of Thornton hall is an incredible game. Um, I mean, they're all really wonderful, but that's a good start. If you're looking for
0: one. Excellent. This will be my, this will be my weekend deep dive later. <laughs> um, well, I, I know we, we need to get to, uh, our, our Patreon bonus segment, which again, I'm just mm. going to keep teasing it to really kind of get y'all in there we're going to jump into the zone of truth here in a little bit but i wanted to ask one final question um if you could change or remove or add anything from D D fifth edition hmm. what would it be and why
1: i mean i i miss some of the the fourth edition stuff maybe just because you know i have it has a soft spot for me because i started there but I love minions. I love the idea that, like, especially in, like, my zombies and, um, or my, my walkers were two hit minions. Cause one, it's easier 2 they're slow and dumb, you know? Uh, so I like that. I like bloodied as a descriptor for how hit something is again, rather than numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like they used in fourth edition, they always, instead of talking necessarily just about party balance, they actually had, they were like a controller, a striker, a healer and defender, I think were Mm -hmm. the four. And so as long as every, you know, between your party, someone or two of you could cover all four of those areas. You knew you had a good balanced party. So I still think about that when I, you know, create parties or characters for, for games. Um, But I mean, fifth edition's pretty great. I, I think my favorite thing about fifth edition is that like the first few sentences are like, do with this what you will. Right. Right. This is your game. Use the rule, don't. You know, it's just an encouragement to play and tell stories and have a great time. And, and that's what I do when I bring new players in as I say, don't worry so much about the, the rules. Play with your heart and your head. And I will figure that all out. I'll tell you what to roll. And I promise you by the third session, you'll have an intuition about it.
0: Well, there you go. Create, follow your heart, have fun. <laughs> that's, that's the way to play. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining. It has been, it has been a true pleasure getting to chat with you and I very much you appreciate too. it.
2: Thank you.
0: And as I mentioned uh, several times, if you go to patreon.com slash for persuasion and support the show there, one, you get my undying gratitude, uh, which is uh, immeasurable. Can't, you can't, you know, really quantify just how great that gratitude is, but you also get access to the zone of truth segment, which is like a 15 ish minute bonus segment that I do with all my guests. Where we chat, uh, I tell them we're going to talk about anything besides why you're here. So I typically try and ask my ask my guests like, "What are you really into?" If somebody just said, "Hey, tell me a thing that you're super excited about that you wouldn't normally get to talk to talk about," let's talk about that. We've I've talked about artificial intelligence with people, uh, <laughs> photography, um, dog training. Uh, I still don't entirely know. Margaret Weiss uh, <laughs> raises her dogs to catch tennis balls in some sort of weird race, and um, I learned about that. So it's really fun for me to learn. Uh, what my guests are into. And so, uh, Deb today, what are, what are you super excited about? What's your hobby that we can chat about for a little bit?
1: Uh, so my hobby uh, was sewing. Um, (laughs) I, and particularly like hand sewing and historical methods and, um, pattern drafting as well is really interesting for me. Uh, I think again, because of my math mind, it's Mm -hmm. this idea of how do I take math and apply it to something physical and real and, Create something then beautiful and artistic out of it. Um, So it's combining all those things I like. So, yeah, I've been doing a lot of pattern drafting and, um, you know, creating of my own patterns and then making things out of that. Um, I've been doing a lot of just shopping my house you know like oh a curtain I no longer use you know I can use that for fabric or I you know uh, find old uh, clothes that I no longer wear or don't wear because mm. they don't fit and I'm finding ways to alter them or mend them or up you know upcycle you know them so that they I actually will wear them use them so that's been really fun to sort of see the possibilities you know oh my dog tore that pillow apart that's okay. I can still use this scrap of fabric
2: for this.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. No, this is, this is exciting to me because, uh, well, you'll find out why it's exciting to me on the, uh, on the bonus segment. If you are a zone of truth, listener, a Patreon supporter, keep listening after the outro music and you will hear that little segment. And, uh, if you're not, what are you waiting for? Go sign up, check it out. It's a fun time. Um, Deb, where can people find you? Do you have projects upcoming? People should be keeping their eyes out for, um, um, I,
1: th- I think with socials, it's all just my name. That's how, uh, you know, how much I care about <laughs> how, <laughs> how much I know about my socials. I right. think they're just my name.
0: You can, you can um, Google Debra Instagram and you'll find it.
1: Yeah. Um, I did a couple of films over the pandemic, you know, the kind of quarantine bubbly, uh, projects that people were doing, um, one of them, ironically, is called Deborah, uh, or coincidentally, I should say it's called Deborah. Uh, I don't play Deborah, but uh, it's uh, it, it, I had a lot of fun making. It. It's a really weird, twisted, wonderful piece. I hope that will come out. Um, yeah, and a couple of little things. But yeah, it's all it's all out there.
0: Yeah. So go search for it. Uh, catch relics and rarities. Go find those on YouTube. Yeah. Um, what was the name of the one the the. Uh, Witch of Briarcliff? Yes, Witch of yes. Briarcliff. The okay. Witch of Briarcliff. I've not seen it. I'm gonna go check oh, it out. See that Mercer get surprised. He okay.
1: was. It was wonderful. I we played through this whole game. They were they were so fantastic. It was such a great group. And uh, I, at towards the end, I made a statement, and he went, "Oh, no!" And I was like, "I got gotcha. you. You didn't see it coming."
0: That's awesome. Um, well, again, thank you so much, and uh, thank you to you, my listeners, uh, because you listening literally is the reason why the show happens. So, thank you for downloading, subscribing, um, checking the show out. You can check out all the information about the show at RollPersuasion.com. Uh, if you had any questions about that promo code for your dice, go there and check it out. You can get it there, um, as well as what other, whatever other random stuff I'm doing. Speaking of random stuff, I'm doing my new actual play show launched last month second star to the right a neverland adventure is now out in the world if you want to come see uh, five adventurers from across the world's drawn to the island of neverland on a race against time to recover a fallen star check us out second star show every other friday twitch.tv slash second star show or find us on your favorite podcast app it's a great time uh when you hear this it will have already happened but actually uh jasmine who is, was on relics and Rarities, hey. is joining us as a guest star uh Yay. in a couple weeks so you'll be able to check her out as well
1: i, would say I love everything about what you just said
0: me too <laughs> going it's, to
1: neverland to find it's a, a dream star.
0: come true and i'm quite happy about it so i hope that uh you guys enjoyed as well so please check it out but until next time guys enjoy your games